Amen. Hey, once again, as I stated, we are in the book of James. What's the tagline? How to spot a phony Christian. And if you've been tracking with us the last 11 times, that's right, I'm counting 11 times, we've been seeing that as crazy as that sounds, how to spot a phony Christian in the church. Uh-huh. This is not a foreign concept in the scripture. It's mentioned all over the place that you see what? False apostles, false teachers, false prophets, even false brothers. What's that? Fake Christians. They say they are, but they're not. And, and James tells us how to spot them, okay, is the issue. God doesn't just tell us this is going to happen. The good news is he tells us how to spot them. What's the problem, though? We're not demean Marines anymore, me, not us, but the church in large, and we're allowing these fakers to go from the pews, the chairs behind the pulpit, and now they're beginning to steer the things. This is why we're in the apostasy. We're not taking the scripture serious. We're not learning how to spot them so we could deal with them and stay on track with Jesus Christ. But we are at where? Sunrise Bible Church. And that's why we're going to continue our study, the book of James, How to Spot a Phony Christian. Our opening text, once again, is the book of James, chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Let's go ahead and turn there. And as we turn there, the book of James was written by Give yourself a golf clap. You guys are amazing. Book of James, that's right. Written by James. Okay, let's take a look at the context. What is God doing? How to spot a phony Christian? What's the acid test? And that's what we're going to see here. James chapter 1, verse 1. As we stand and read God's holy word, says this. James, a servant of who? God and of who? The Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. Again, the context at this time when this book was written, the people that were saved were Jewish Christians, right? Paul hadn't gone out with the missionary journeys with Barnabas yet, and that's why he says that. It, but it's not talking to the Jews. He's talking to the church. Greetings, he says. And right out of the gates, man, the first thing he says, right, says this. Consider pure joy, my brothers, whenever you drive a Cadillac. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Wrong translation. Consider pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face what? Trials of many kinds. What? what are you talking about? Because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. And listen, here's where we're at. Perseverance must. It has to. It's an imperative. It's an order. It has to finish its work. Why? So that you may become mature and complete, not lacking anything. How many guys, again, would like to be that Christian that say, hey, I am complete. I am mature. I don't lack nothing. I can face anything this world throws my way. Woo! Anybody? Then turn to somebody and say, what? Bring on the trials, right? Because that's what James is saying. Just one of the good things that God is doing. You may be seated if you can there. But again, by way of recap, James is the first book written chronologically to the church that finally got out into the world, right? And the first thing he does is he begins to give the, uh, the church an acid test, how to spot phonies. And you're going, like, why would he do that? Because the enemy is lost, the Satan, the devil, Jesus defeated him on the cross, he couldn't stop the birth of the church and can't take away your salvation. He knows his gig is up. He's headed for the lake of fire, but he's so stinking evil. Now he's been spending all that time from the birth of the church still to this day trying to infiltrate the church with a bunch of phony Christians so that if they can take over, then the people who come into the church, they get a false gospel, a false Jesus, and a false Christianity, and they join Satan in the lake of fire, right? So James comes and he says, aha, I'm going to give you an acid test, the first book of the New Testament. And the first acid test we've been seeing is trials. How do you handle trials? And it's not just making it through the trials. James said, here's your acid test that you can see if you got a Christian there or a non-Christian there. It's do you what? Do you have joy in the midst of your trials? Why? Because Jesus endured the what? Cross for the joy set before him. And if you're a true born-again Christian, what's the scripture say? At the moment you get saved, you're indwelt with what? The Holy Spirit of God. He begins to produce his fruit through you and it's love and what's the second one joy so joy even supernatural joy it doesn't make sense kind of joy well that's why it's called supernatural it's not natural joy even the mystery trials really is possible what's the caveat if you're born again christian because all christians are indwelt with the holy spirit of god and that's where that power 
comes from. Now, the problem is we've got these fakers, these apostates, uh, false teachers who've come into the church, and they're saying the exact opposite. Oh, no, you can become a Christian, and you can drop that Cadillac, and sow a seed to my ministry, and you can get this, and perfect life, and perfect wealth, and perfect health, and we're going to deal with that again today. Okay, and so that's why we've been taking a look. No, that's not what the scripture says. We've been camping on this. God, he's really going to do something. I'm not just not going to go through trials, but I could actually even be joyful in my trial because something good, yes. And James tells us the first good reason in our context. Again, that's the word perseverance. Translated means complete, mature Christian, not lacking anything. But that was just one. We took a major detour and we dealt with 20 other reasons biblically why God's allowing trials. And they're all good things for us. To drill home the point, stop listening to these guys. Now, then we moved on last time to verse 4, and we saw, aha, but there's a caveat. You could know that you're going to go through that. You could know that there's something good in it, and so you can keep your joy. But here's the point. What's the caveat? You have to let it run its course. And that brought us to the second test. Not just do you have joy in the midst of your trials. Do you submit to God in the midst of the trial? Meaning, I submit to the fact that this may not be easy, it may not be comfortable, but I know he's doing something good, and however long it takes, I want to learn what he's trying to teach me. Why? Because if you don't learn the lesson, what? God's more concerned about your character than your comfort, and you don't learn it, what's going to happen? Remember last time? Groundhog Day, and you're going to live the whole thing over again, right? And if you've invested this much pain in it, why would you ruin it and start all over? I.e., take a lap. I don't like taking laps. I turn to somebody and say, don't take it well. Don't do it. Learn the lesson the first time. And that's what we've been seeing, right, in verse 4. So let's tear it apart again, right? The English says this, perseverance must, it has to, finish its work. Why? So that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. The Greek says this, but be allowing, literally let it. The idea is submission. Submit to it. The affirmation patience to having its complete work. Why? In order that you may be spiritually mature and complete in what? Every detail not lacking in nothing, nothing, whatever. And of course, we're Christians, you know, you're supposed to say the right thing, especially in church services, right? And say, oh yeah, I know, I'm supposed to let God do the work, you know, and he's going to do something good, but that's not what we do. A lot of times we do the exact opposite. We, we, we try to stop that trial. We resist that trial. We hate that trial. We run from the trial. We blame other people. We resent that. And dare I say, I've heard stories, I'm sure not here, but once again, South America read way down south. You hear those people that shake a fist at God. God, what? Don't ever do that, Christian. Number one, what's that implying? That God's doing something wrong. You just accuse God of sin. That's serious. Number two, you're acting like you're not getting justice. Don't ever ask for God's justice. If we got what we justly deserve, myself included, we all burn straight into hell. You need to celebrate God's mercy. And when the hard times come, you need to trust what he says. I'm doing something good. Trust me. You don't need to shake a fist. Don't join the devil. That's what he wants you to do. But God's doing something good. Don't resist it. Let it finish its work. That's what he says. It's got to finish its work. If you don't finish its work, if you don't get it, if you don't let God, God, what are you trying to do? How, I, I got to learn this. I, I, don't, don't, don't run. Are you going to do it again? Are you, are you sick and tired of taking laps? Then let the trial finish it's work. He's more concerned about our character than our comfort, okay? And that's why we've been dealing with some things that I believe helps us to submit to the trials when they come so we don't jettison from it and have to do it all over again. Get it right the first time, right? Okay, and the first thing we saw last time is you need to understand that nothing is by chance. And folks, that includes your problems, my problems, all of our problems. Nothing's by chance. God's not the author of sin. 
but he'll use everything. I call him the ultimate recycler. It doesn't matter what comes your way. He's promised. I didn't. He did. He'll work it all. How much is all? Everything together for good. Do you love him? Are you called according to his purpose? Then it's got to be good. Nothing's by chance. And we drilled that into our heads because that's what we do. Oh, this is just no willy-nilly to this problem. It's just no rhyme or reason. It just makes no sense. It's just coming out of the blue. No. God's not the author of sin, but he'll use anything to make us stronger, better Christians, right? Which is what James is saying. Now, we saw that nothing's by chance, including not by chance where you live. It's not by chance where you work. And it's not by chance whom you marry. Pause for dramatic effect. It's not by chance what? When you die. Right? Even you're born on time, you're going to die on time. I didn't say that. God did. Job 14, 5. God has determined the length of our lives. We're not given a minute longer. Right? Unless the rapture happens and we get to skip that death part. Anybody looking forward to that? Yeah. Praise God. Now, that's just the first thing. You've got to understand nothing is by chance, not even your problems, so you can submit to it. Let it finish its work. If you will, milk it for all its worth and, and learn from it so you can move on. Otherwise, you're going to what? Groundhog Day. You're going to do it all over again. Do you want to do that? then nothing is by chance, even when it comes to our challenge. Now, the second thing is this. No Christian is exempt from suffering. And see, this is a big problem. We, this is a, an infection. I'll use that word, an infection, a lie from this wicked world system. And dare I say, we'll see in a second from these lying hucksters behind the pulpit. Because Christians say, you know, hold the Bible, you read the Bible, it's talking about Jesus suffered and the early church suffered. And, you know, there's some passages in there that you never hear people preach on, but you're going to have some challenges and whatever and, and whatever. But, but then we, we go through trials and, and, and we resist it because we act like, what's, what's going on? We act like something foreign and strange is happening to us. Even though this is not heaven, heaven comes later. How many guys realize that this is not heaven? Praise God, all five of you. The rest of you, it gets better. Okay, in Christ. Okay, but, but listen, so, so get, this is not heaven, but we act like we're guaranteed heaven now when heaven comes later. This is the messed up version, right? At the rapture or death, absent from the bodies, be present with the Lord, praise God, we go to heaven. But then we come back to the millennial kingdom. We get to have the earth and the renovated garden of Eden-like conditions, peace with nature, then the new heavens and the new earth, and, and so shall it always be, and there's no more sin or suffering or crying or mourning or death or Satan or demons, none of that stuff forever and forever. We just say it forevermore. Woo! It's not here yet. Can we deal with this? So stop acting like you're guaranteed heaven. In fact, God didn't say that. He told you you're going to have challenges. But see, this is our problem. We act like we're exempt from suffering. <gasps> What's going on? What, God, what are you trying to do? Or we act like we're the only ones who've had to go through this. It's not right. It's not fair. Right? Why, God? What's going on? And you keep taking it to an extreme. And you know what's going to happen? Number two, you're going to start acting like God doesn't know what he's doing, calling him a liar, which I don't recommend. I'll stand over here while the lightning bolt gets you. Number two, you know what? You don't submit to it. You don't let it finish its work. And so guess what happens? Groundhog Day! And you do it all again. You can blow it. Acting like you don't need to have a trial. And yet, what does James say? Consider it pure joy. When, not if you face many. It's like, what Bible are you reading? Right? Is what we're seeing there. Okay, now part of it is we got to stop thinking worldly. And we got to get back to thinking biblically. I know that sounds common sense. But one guy puts it this way. Watch this. He says, our values determine our evaluations. If we value comfort more than character, then our trials are going to upset us. If we value the material and the physical more than the spiritual, then we will not be able to count it all joy when we face hard times. And if we only uh, live for the present and forget about the future, then the trials will make us bitter, not better. You need 
to understand your values determine your evaluations. It's going to happen, folks. This is not heaven. Heaven comes later. We're going to go through hard times. That's how God brings us up. And again, we all already have this natural resistance, like, oh, I shouldn't have to suffer. The, you know, the, I mean, what's the world say? You shouldn't even have to have a headache. Take an aspirin. It's all about you and a comforting life. Hey, you want to be cool? Wear jackets like Pastor Billy. You want to have a fulfilling life? Drive this car, this truck, right? You want this? You need this. You need that, right? You need cool. You can have it, right? And most, even there I say Christians, they think that the goal of being a Christian is you get saved and then you tiptoe through life with as much cushion as possible and then you arrive at death safely. It's like what Bible you're reading. That's not the path. That's not reality. But see, when you live like that, because of the influx of the world, every commercial is designed to sell you a lie that this is what you need for joy. When God says joy comes from his spirit, and even in spite of your problems, you could still be joyful. I'll take that any other week because that's real. But we resist that. But the other problem again is these hucksters, man. We got Christians out there thinking that they go through, well, what's going on? I should be exempt from this. I mean, these guys have told me that if I sow a seed to their ministry, I can, I can have this and perfect health and perfect. Once again, let's take a look at the lies these hucksters are out there telling the church, right? Jesse Duplantis, what's he say? And I quote, the very first thing on Jesus' agenda was to get rid of poverty. Excuse me? It was to save us from the penalty of our sins, namely hell. You heretic. Frederick Price said this, if the, the apostles were businessmen, they were rich men, they had plenty of money. And I'm going to show you that Jesus was a wealthy man. He had plenty of money. I mean, Jesus and the disciples were rich. Only rich people could take off for three and a half years. You heretic. John Avanzini, he said this, Jesus was handling big money because that treasurer he had was a thief. And now you can't tell me that a ministry with a treasure that's, uh, that's a thief can operate on a few pennies. Uh-uh. It took big money to operate that ministry because Judas was stealing out of that bag. And if you got a treasure, that means you got a lot of money. I've served at churches where, the, yeah, you had a treasure, but you're sitting there counting pennies going like, how are we paying the light bill? <laughs> Creflo Dollar. Again, very interesting last name for the heresy that you would preach. Right? All right? Uh, he said, I'm telling you, Jesus wasn't poor. He, he didn't wear no rags either. I mean, like we march in on these Easter little plays that we do at our church with those raggedy sheets on. Uh-uh. Jesus didn't have no rags on. He wore designer clothes, honey. Are you serious? And this guy, John Ambazine, again, he says this. Well, I'm, Jesus wore designer clothes. I mean, what else are you going to call it? I mean, I mean, you didn't get this stuff. He wore off the rack. This is custom stuff. You heretic, creflo dollar, once again, watch it. Tell me, right, the Bible talks about these false teachers. They, they get to the point where you got a seared conscience. It's like, you guys, you just, I don't care what I do, what I teach you, how much scripture, you just, you're seared. Chrome uh, translation, this is what, is this a seared conscience? Because this is, what? What? Watch this. He said, but without faith stuff, you have no stuff. Because faith stuff is the stuff of all stuff. You take away the faith stuff, and you ain't got no stuff. Get that faith stuff, and you can get some more stuff, because you got the main stuff. Now, did you get all that stuff? Wow. you got to be kidding me. Robert Tilton, watch this. He said, the only time people were poor in the Bible is when they were under a curse. Being poor is a sin. Jesus was poor for our sakes so that we could become rich, and he wasn't talking material riches. Wow. Right? Frederick Price said this, the whole point I, I'm trying to get you to see, the, get you out of this malaise of thinking that Jesus and the disciples were poor and then relating that to you. He says, no. He says, the Bible says that he has left us an example that we should follow in his steps. That's the reason why I drive a Rolls Royce. I'm following in Jesus' steps. You allow these hucksters to sit in the pew for so long 
you've dumbed down the gospel, you don't teach the word of God, now they've gone from the pew to the pulpit, and this is what you get. This is what you get. It gets worse. Not just perfect health. They preach the lie of perfect health. Right? Here's Finney Ben. I mean, Benny Hinn. He says this. He says, sickness does not belong to you. It's got no part in the body of Christ. Sickness does not belong to any of us. The Bible declares the word of God is our life. And there's going to be health. There's going to be healing. Divine health and divine healing. There's going to be no sickness for the saint of God. That means not even a headache, sinus problem, not even a toothache, nothing. No sickness should come your way. Really? Where were you guys when COVID hit? There's your chance to put your teaching to the test, you liars. You don't think he's never had a Tylenol or an aspirin? You liar. You think he's never taken cold medicine? You liar. Do you think he's never been in the hospital? Check the record, you liar. It's a joke, right? Kenneth Hagin, watch this. He said, it's the plan of our Father God and his great love and mercy uh, that no believer should ever be sick. Dude, you're not looking too healthy right there. In fact, you look at all these guys, so-called perfect health guys, perfect health, perfect wealth. His faith is starting to slide off. Have you noticed that? He's got wrinkles. What's the matter? You're losing your faith? What's going on here? You liar. Liar in the church. Kenneth Copeland. Oh, boy. This guy, watch this. He says, you begin to meditate on those scriptures until you built an inner image of yourself healed. That's straight up Hinduism and New Age. I came out of that. That's all it is, folks. They slap it with Christianese, and people, unfortunately, drink it right down. He says, and that image grew more crisp and clear, and you begin to expect or hope for that that image to become a reality. In New Age, that's called creative visualization. You're a little God, and then you can continue to repeat your mantra over and over again until you create your own reality. That's New Age Hinduism. That's what he's teaching. It ain't the Bible. Right? You'll be expecting the very presence of God to rise up in you so powerfully that instead of believing for healing every six weeks, you'll walk in divine health every day. Really? Have you seen videos of him lately? His face is sliding off. He's getting a lot more wrinkles and crinkles and age spots. In fact, he's caking on the makeup to try to hide his false teaching. And some of these same teachers, I don't have time to get into this, some of these teachers are actually doing plastic surgery to gain more time to preach their lie. I wish I was making that up. It's nuts. Marilyn Hickey, oh boy. It ain't just the guys. Watch what she says. This, again, seared, what is going on here? Right? Say to your body, your whole body, why you just function so beautifully and so well? Why, body, you never have any problems. You're such a strong, healthy body. Speak to your legs. Speak to your foot. Speak to your neck. Speak to your back. Speak to a Christian counselor, lady. It's like, are you kidding me? Right? And, and once you've spoken and believe and that you've received, don't go back on it. Speak to your wife. Speak to your husband. Speak to your circumstances. Speak faith to them and create in them and God will create what you're speaking. Who do you think you are, God? That's another thing they teach that they're little gods, which is straight out of Hinduism and New Age. Crazy. Right? I'll throw this one there one last time. Frederick Price, he said, how can you glorify God in your body when it doesn't function right? How can you glorify God? How can you get glory when your body doesn't even work? What makes you think that the Holy Ghost wants to live inside of a body where he can't see through the windows and he can't hear through the ears? What makes you think the Holy Spirit wants to live inside of a physical body where the limbs and the organs and the cells do not function right? That guy's not just a heretic along with all those other people, but they just drove a stake into the heart of anybody who's dealing with what God said is going to happen. This side of heaven, you're going to have problems. You're going to have trials. Your body's going to fall apart if you live long enough. Going to have a disease. You might even get cancer. You might even have an accident where you're in a wheelchair. But these hucksters just drove us stick. It's bad enough you're dealing with that. And then on top of it, you know what these guys do? 
They say, and the reason why you're not living rich and supposed perfect health and perfect wealth like them is because you got some secret sin. They throw it back in your face. Like putting salt on a what? Or, or, or you just don't have enough faith. You got to get some of that faith stuff. More of that stuff to get stuff. If these people ain't saved, there's going to be, makes you wonder if there's going to be a special place in hell. This is horrible, folks. But I bring this up again because, again, fakers have moved from the pews, they're behind the pulpit, and this is just the tip of the iceberg of the baloney and the heresy coming out of the church. And again, it's exactly opposite. What did James say? Consider it pure joy whenever, not if, you face not just trials, but what? Trials of many kinds. You're calling God's word a liar. And, and again, you think, well, I've already got this natural resistance. I, I, I don't want to you know, learn from this. I, I shouldn't have to suffer as a Christian. The commercials tell me I shouldn't even have to have a headache. And I've got all these panaceas to figure out how I, get, I, got, I, got, I can live a life of comfort and ease. And then here comes these hucksters, and it's even worse. And again, this is what we need to do. We need to do what the Scripture says. We need to submit to the reality that this is not heaven. Heaven comes later. You're going to experience trials, but guess what? Take heart. Jesus has overcome the world. One day we're not going to have to deal with this, but in the midst of it, God's going to do something wonderful. That's what James is saying, right? But let me give you just a couple more, just to reiterate, and I isn't just James saying this. The scripture is very clear. This is not heaven. Heaven comes later, right? Psalm 34, 19, a righteous man may have no troubles because he sowed a face seed with $100 because he's going to get $1,000 back and he gets to drive a candlelight. <laughs> Who gave me that Bible? What's he say? A righteous man may have many, not just troubles, many troubles, but here's the good news, what? God delivers you from them all, right? You're not exempt from suffering, Christian. Old and New Testament. Isaiah 48, God says, See, I've refined you, though not as silver. I've tested you in the furnace of what? Affliction. God makes you a better walk and pure walk with Christ through going through challenges, right? Matthew, Jesus said, Blessed, it's makaras in the Greek. It means spiritually prosperous with joy. That's what the word blessed means, right? Are are those who are what? Who live a perfect life and have a cushion and no problem? No, Blessed are those who what? Who are persecuted because of righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people shall insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me, Jesus said. In fact, what's he say? The exact same thing James says. Rejoice! Woohoo! Pure joy! Be glad! Why? Because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecute the prophets who were before you. 2 Timothy 3. You, however, know all Paul says about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, my faith, my patience, my love, endurance persecution, spit it out. It's there. Persecution, sufferings, what kind of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, Elisha, the persecutions I endured, you know, pretty much everywhere we went. Yet, here's the good news. What? God will work around for good. He rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone, listen, who wants to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. Well, I'm a Christian. And things are going well for me. I never have any problems. Maybe it's because you and the world are going the same way. The enemy's already got you. The moment you start living a godly life and following Christ, you're going against the grain of the culture. Here comes the resistance. Think about that. right? Acts 14. They preached the good news to that city and won a large number of disciples. They, then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. Philippians 1. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but to what? 
suffer for him since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Philippians 3, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of... What? Yeah, sharing in his what? Sufferings, becoming like him in his death. First Peter 5, 9, resist him, the devil, standing firm in the faith. Why? Because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. First Peter 4, dear friends, I love this. Watch this. He says, do not be surprised at not just the trial, the what? Painful trial you're suffering. And listen, as though something strange has happened to you. God, what's going on? I'm the only one. What are you acting like something weird? This is not heaven. Heaven comes later. Right? What are you acting like this is heaven now? That he told you this is going to happen. What are you acting like it's a big surprise? Oh, surprise! Don't act like it's something strange. This is, we're still in the wicked world system. We don't condone it. Welcome to reality. But here's the good news. You can still rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ. He'll do something fantastic with it. Right? But don't act like something weird's going on. Oh, you're throwing me in God. How come they don't? This is what we're dealing with here. Right, And again, if you want even more example, that's just the scripture, Old and New Testament. We could be here for days. I think one of the easiest examples to point, really, you mean to tell me that I'm going to have some challenges this side of heaven? Yeah. We, we, we call ourselves what? Christians. What's Christians means? Followers of Christ. And we all know that Jesus had it easy. <laughs> See, that's, that's the problem. We, we act like, excuse me, uh, did, did he really have to suffer? Yeah. He suffered, but we don't, want to, we don't want to take the same path. In fact, he said what? If you are going to be my disciple, you must first of all what? Deny yourself and then pick up your Cadillac. Oh, I'm sorry. Pick up your, what's a cross? It's an instrument of suffering and death. And then come follow me. It's, in the Greek, it's continuance. So it means, and come follow me so as to make it a habit of life day in, day out. What? So Jesus suffered, and he says that if we're going to be his disciples... We need to chalk it up. We're going to suffer too? Yeah. One guy puts it this way. Watch this. He said, Christ did not say, if anyone would come after me, let him enjoy himself. Let him be gorgeously dressed. Let him be drunk with delight. No. He said, if anyone will come after me, Jesus speaking, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and come follow me. His path winds up a side of a steep mountain where death will be present on every hand. You don't see the lovely side of following Christ. You only see what he takes away. But you don't see what he gives. You exaggerate your sacrifices. You ignore his blessings. God is your father. Do you think he would hurt you? Okay, he just cuts off from you. Listen, the things that you love in the wrong way in this wicked world system. And you cry like a baby when God removes something or someone from your life. But listen, you would cry a whole lot more if you could see the eternal harm that that wrong attachment would have caused you if God didn't cut it off. You don't see with the eyes of eternity. God knows everything. Again, nothing's by chance we saw last time. Nothing happens without his consent. You're upset by small losses. You don't see the eternal gain. Don't dwell on your suffering. Your oversensitivity makes your trials worse. Abandon yourself to God. You cannot give place in this world to your passions or your laziness. You must violently resist the tides of this wicked world system. Violently give up all that holds you back from God. Violently turn your will over to God to do his will alone. This violence is what I pray you become uh, to know as a Christian. Why? Because how else will you know anything of the life of the Lord Jesus and we're supposed to follow him? Before the cross, what kind of life did Jesus live? He was born in a stable. He was obliged to fly into Egypt. 30 years of his life was spent in a workshop. 
He suffered hunger and thirst and weariness. He was poor. He was despised by people. He was miserable. He, he taught the doctrines of heaven, but nobody would listen to him. The great and the wise persecuted him and, and took him and subjected him to frightful torments. They treated him as a slave. They put him to death on the cross between two thieves. They preferred to give liberty to a robber, a thief, rather than let Jesus go. Such was the life of our Lord. He chose while we are horrified by any kind of humiliation. If you give me cold french fries one more time, I'm going to tell the manager. How dare you cut me off on this freeway? Oh, I'll get you. <laughs> Rebecca was riding with me one day. I, this was nuts. I, I, this is the first time I, I experienced somebody with road rage. This was crazy. Right? Turned my blinker on, moved in. The lady didn't like it behind me. She proceeded to follow us wherever we went. Man, she was screaming, banging on that. I'm taking uh, side streets. I'm going, well, she's got to cut off soon. No, she ain't. <laughs> I mean, we were going through different neighborhoods, so whatever, and the only, my, my peace, of course, was in God. The other one was, I had a lot of gas in the tank. <laughs> I'm not joking. So I'm going, okay, surely when I get on the freeway, she's not going to. She wouldn't stop. I'm going miles and miles on the freeway. <laughs> I said, whoa, stop eating chicken, lady. You're the one that went to KFC, not me. Don't blame it on me. But this is the stuff. We're the, the slightest little thing. I can't believe you did this. Whatever. And then we transferred to God. God, why you let Jesus went to the cross. His whole life was off the back of suffering, pun intended, culminating to the cross. Listen, did God do something fantastic with that? Yeah. He saved us for all eternity. He saved us from eternal suffering in a place called hell. And then Jesus says, you're going to have a cross too, Christian. This is not heaven. It comes later. It's all just temporary. In the meantime, trust me. I know what I'm doing. Submit to it. Let us finish his work. Come out on top. But we resist that. But then we even go further. Okay, yeah, the Bible talks about we're going to suffer. This is not heaven. Heaven comes later. And yeah, Jesus suffered. But come on. I mean, surely not his... Not, not, not Christians. I mean, I know he had to do that for our, but, you know, come on, really? For, yeah. Let's take a look at the example of the apostles. Because we all know when they got saved, you know, the rest of their lives was fantastic. Church history records, uh-uh. When Jesus said, take up your cross, sometimes it means literally, right? James, the brother John, he was beheaded. Thomas was run through the body with a lance. Simon, the brother Jude, was crucified in Egypt. Simon, the zealot, was crucified. Mark was burned and buried after being dragged through the streets. Bartholomew was beaten, skinned alive, crucified. Then they chopped his head off. Andrew was crucified. Matthew was killed by a spear. Philip was stoned and then crucified. Uh, James was thrown off the temple. He survived that, and then they beat him to death at a club. Peter was crucified upside down. Paul was beheaded. Luke was hanging on an olive tree. Jude was shot to death by arrows. Uh, Matthias was first stoned. Then they beheaded him. Uh, Barnabas was stoned to death. And then John was put into a cauldron of boiling oil. But he survived that and later survived a, quote, natural death. Looks to me like uh, there's no padding on their cross. See, that's what we think. We've been infected. If it's not these hucksters, it's this wicked world system. That you come to Jesus and somehow, unlike what Peter said, something foreign has happened to us. What? What I'm bearing doesn't come with padding. There's no subscriptions to Netflix or anything. I I can't even enjoy this. What kind of a life is this? God, why? 
And you know what? It isn't just that you're acting like God doesn't know what he's doing. I, you're calling him a liar, which I don't recommend. Guess what you're not doing? You're not letting it finish its work. You're not submitting to it. So guess what? You can say, oh, yeah, it's not my chance. Yeah, I'm going to suffer. But you resist it. You run from it. You hate it. You go the opposite direction. And guess what? God loves you. He loves you enough to say, guess what? Groundhog Day, you're going to do it again. And aren't you sick and tired of taking laps? Right? I say it all the time with people, even in counseling. Have you invested? You know, Because it's different things. I've been dealing with this for one week. I've been dealing with this for one month. I've been dealing with this for three years. It's just whatever. I say, hey, have you invested a lot of pain into this? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's horrible. <laughs> then learn what God's trying to teach you or it's going to keep going on. <laughs> we all want to be taken out. I get that. But we act like we're guaranteed heaven before we get there. This is the messed up version. And God's getting ready to judge it again because of sin. Praise God, in the future, we're never going to have to deal with this. But in the meantime, we've got to deal with it. But we want to be taken out. But what, look at Daniel's. How many times we got to go through this? Daniel, his buddies, right? We get thrown into fiery circumstances. Did God take them out? No, they went through that. See, that's what we want to do. We want God to take us out of the circumstances. It means right in there. Sometimes, sometimes not. No, let's, let's go around that circumstance, God. No, 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 God, take me over that. No, no, God, take me out of that. No, God, take me under that. God, God, please. When you go into that circumstance, as Daniel's buddies found, they were not alone. And then when you go through it, let us finish his course, sure enough, guess what? God did something fantastic with it, even to the point they're in the midst of the flames, their clothes didn't even smell like fire. How's that happen? Because it's supernatural. We serve a supernatural God, and he's so stinking powerful, he'll take everything you go with, no matter what the enemy throws you, and he'll turn around for good, and you'll come out on top. You know, there should be a verse in the Bible that should reiterate that truth and tell us that, man, we can consider pure joy. There is. This is what James trying to get to our heads. But we resist this. Now you think, okay, well, maybe that was just Jesus, right? The Bible says we're going to suffer. Jesus suffered, of course, you know. Uh, the apostles, that was that early church thing, right? You know, that, that you read church history, speaking of which, you, you know, for, for many centuries there was persecution, but not today. We shouldn't have to do. Let me give you just one example, and then we'll wrap it up. This is our brother in Christ. His name is Alex. This really happened. Put your, somebody cut me off in traffic, cold french fries in perspective. Salvation is in Christ is often birthed in tragedy, and so it was for Brother Alex. He received Christ after armed revolutionary forces of Columbia seized his family's farm and assassinated his father 12 years ago. Alex's face had been tested repeatedly since his father's murder, but his greatest challenge came four years ago as he was traveling to work by bus with 26 other banana farm laborers. One morning, as the banana workers traveled to the plantation. Some of the revolutionary forces stopped the bus. Four guerrillas armed with AK-47s forced people off uh, the bus. And then Alex felt a check in his spirit. Quote, he said, when I saw them, the Holy Spirit witnessed to my heart that they were going to kill us, and I began to shake, and I knew death was near. But here's where God supernaturally begins to kick in. Alex then suddenly felt an overwhelming sense of peace and joy, and he began, listen, he began to sing songs of praise. While the guerrillas herded the laborers off the bus and, and lined them up alongside the road. And in fact, he thanked and praised God. Listen, he sang to God with all his heart. Great is your 
faithfulness. Oh God, there is none like you. Alex, listen, response to death. He said, comes natural to him. He said, quote, isn't, isn't this the normal reaction of any Christian who deeply loves Jesus? It's the time of death. It's the time you enter into his presence. So of course I was praising and worshiping him. The gorillas tied the hands of all the folks there. He separated the workers into three rows, forced them to kneel in the grass. But the armed men became agitated with Alex because he wouldn't stop singing praise songs. So one of them struck Alex with the end of his rifle to shut him up. And then a co-worker cries out, don't kill me, don't kill me, I'm totally innocent. Alex said he became impatient with that guy and asked him, why are you seeking life from these men if the only owner of our lives is God? And then an eerie silence descended upon the captive. Suddenly a blaze of gunfire erupted, shattering the silence. The gunmen emptied their automatic weapons on the hostages. Alex expected a bullet of uh, a multitude to pierce his body, but uh, only one grazed his arm and he experienced no pain. There was warm blood and other tissue from the other people that were uh, uh, being shot around him. The gorillas moved to the front of the line and then they began to spray gunfire on the row where Alex was kneeling. A bullet struck Alex between the nose and the eye, blew out the right side of his face. His eye exploded, but Alex did not lose consciousness. He's laying on the ground, true story, immersed in a pool of blood. The gorillas, now armed with machetes, are now starting to sever the heads of the fallen laborers and Alex recalled, and I quote, at that moment they approached me, I suddenly realized I had not told them about Jesus. He said, though I was drowning in my own blood, I could hardly speak. I was totally blind. Uh, With all the strength I could muster, I simply cried out, Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. And at this, an angry gunman silenced Alex by shattering his jaw with the end of his rifle. When all was over, 25 of the banana plantation workers perished, but Alex survived. And he's had several reconstructive surgeries on his face. Hopefully starting to put this in your head a little bit. Why? Okay, I know the scripture says this. I know Jesus had to. I know the early church experienced persecution, but what? Still to this day? God, why? Why is this happening? What are you, what are you doing? This is our brother. Why? Well, you have to read the rest of the story. This is what James is saying. It may take time before it shows itself, but it's coming. God's doing something good. And I quote, Alex recently graduated from seminary. Watch this. Remember his eye got shot out? Watch this. Although he was blinded in the attack, the young evangelist says he clearly sees the call of God on his life now. And that's to continue sharing the love of Jesus Christ with the Marxist guerrillas and the other people hurting in Colombia. God has given him a vision to set the captives free. That's why. This is not heaven, heaven comes later. But take heart. God will do something fantastic, yes, even in the midst of your pain. But see, it's a process. And I think what happens is over time, we take those, what we consider, oh, those serious trials, those cold French fries. And we work it, we made it through that one. And then we go, oh, no, here comes another one. Now, now we got to deal with people who, who, who cut us off on the freeway. And all the other ones that we say that, frankly, in light of this. But we, we're still going through them. And everybody's got different ones. And we're going round and around. And we're just going, why, God, why? It was such pain and agony. What are you trying to do to me? He's trying to build your spiritual muscles. I had to learn this. I kid you not. Early on as a Christian, 
I went to school at night for seven years, Bible college and seminary, while I was working full-time at a secular job. And that secular job, man, uh, I, was before I, got, I was there before I got saved, then I got saved. And I was the persecuted Christians. I was the antagonizer of Christians. I hated Christians. I mocked God. I mocked Jesus in the Bible. And then all of a sudden, I walk in one day, I'm a Christian. Freaked them out. I'm serious. About a month, they were like, oh, what happened to him? And then it came. They began to treat me how I used to treat Christians. The mocking, the scoffing, the skeptical questions about that. Just anything to get me to crack. Just get, ah, you hypocrite. Every day, every day I went in there for year after year. I, I literally, I'm not exaggerating. I, I would open up the door to, five minutes before I'm supposed to punch in the time clock, and I would literally go, okay, here it comes. And for the next nine hours, it wouldn't stop. And I'd go to Bible God, and this is over year after year. And I kid you not, early on as a Christian, I'm going, after a while, I'm going like, why, God, why? Why am I here? I mean, I, I literally tried to escape. I tried to run from this trial. I tried to find another job. And believe it or not, I got different skills just, you know, other than picking jackets. They're, they're really, I do have some skills, right? And so I was submitting resumes. I was trying to do, I was trying to escape. And God closed every single door. He got so crazy. I'm going, this only God. There's no way I can't get another job. He wouldn't let me leave. And I'm sitting, I'm fighting this. I'm not, here, what's the point? Let it finish its work. I wasn't doing it. I was resisting. This should, I shouldn't have to suffer like this, God. I shouldn't have to have this trial. Why? And I kid you not. This scene flashed through my mind that God, I'm not recommending this movie. It's from Conan the Barbarian. <laughs> but in my pre-Jesus days, I believe God resurrected that up to show me what I thought was seemingly monotonous, going round and round, no rhyme or reason, really is going to pay off one day if you let it finish its work. Right? Watch this. This is cool.
That's what flashed through my mind. Not, again, I'm not condoning that behavior. I'm not even recommending that, that movie. But all of a sudden, I got it. God, why? Why? Day in, day out, man. These guys are on my case, man. Every skeptical question you could think of, man, they're just like, well, how can we have God so loving? Why is there evil and suffering? If the Bible's different than you know, any other book on the planet, how come you know, all this is happening? What, is what about dinosaurs in the Bible? What about UFOs? What about blah, 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 blah? And then you look at this. We're watching you. You do anything wrong with you, hypocrite. You lie. Why, God? Why? Every day it's just the same seemingly monotonous turnstile. It's just, I can't, what? There's no purpose. There's no rivalry. I'm just going in circles month after month, year after year. I get it now. You're building my spiritual muscles. It just takes time. Don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying this to boast. After seven years of going on that track, Ask me a skeptical question. I think I've heard them all. Granted, as a young Christian, I didn't always know the answer, but it got me back into the scripture to find the answer because the answers are there. You just got to do your homework. How did I develop a love for apologetics? Where did I learn to cut my teeth on witnessing to anybody, no matter who they are, what they are, what they've been involved in? Because of that! Bring it on. Excuse me. Bring it on. I didn't get it at the time. But that helped me to realize that, listen, it's what James is saying. Over time, when you go through trials, submit to it. Let it finish its work. God's doing something good. It doesn't mean it's going to happen after the first month. Maybe a while. But you're going to go through your own turnstile of trials. But take heart. God's building your spiritual muscles. That's step one. Because then, then you could have what the scripture talks about. Watch this. Paul says this, Romans chapter 5, verse 34. But not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings. Why? Because we know that what? Suffering produces what? Perseverance. Same thing, right? Complete, mature. But it goes even more. You keep going around that turnstile, you get a couple other blessings, right? Perseverance then begins to what? Develop your spiritual muscles, your character. And then when your character gets strong, what do you got? You got hope. Nothing can bring you down, right? No matter what this world throws at you, it doesn't knock, it, you're not knocked out. And that's what Paul says here. I love this passage, right? He says, 2 Corinthians 4, 8-9, we are hard-pressed on all sides, but we're never frustrated. We're puzzled, but we're never in despair. We're persecuted, but we're never deserted. We may be knocked down, but what? We are never knocked out. You just keep getting off the mat. Like this other manly guy. Remember this show? Watch this one.
stay down. Apollo dancing around with his arms in the air. I went to church services. What you? I watched Conan the Barbarian Rocky. Woo! <laughs> why do we like that show? Again, I'm not necessarily condoning all that stuff that goes in it. But why do we like that theme? Because it's a guy that what? Was beat to a pulp. But he kept getting up. Don't you see what God's trying to say, Christian? God is not being a media. He's not a cosmic terrorist. He's trying to give you something better. We're hard-pressed, man, on all sides. We might be frustrated, but we're never puzzled. We're never in despair. We might be persecuted, but we're never deserted. We may be knocked down, but you never knocked down. Why? Because over time, you submitted to the process. You got joy in your trials because you see what God's doing. Uh, hey, it's way beyond just, oh, I had to deal with that line in Walmart going around the turnstile. Oh, that tra- oh, those cold friends. Listen, that was just the easy stuff to build your spiritual muscles because sometime in life, like Alex learned, he's going to throw you into the ring of something really big. But even then, he'll give you the spirit of Rocky, man. By the power of God. And now you can handle anything the enemy throws at you. All the punches from the enemy, from Satan, from the demons, this wicked world system, other people, bring it on. And they're the ones that are scared of you. Because you keep getting back up. Because heaven comes later. This is not heaven. But God hasn't left us hanging high and dry. It's the process of trials he uses to build our muscles so that we can face anything this world throws until we get to heaven. Isn't that fantastic? Amen. Here is a mighty Christian in the making. Let's wrap it all together with this example. Watch this. Hi, my name is Zach Smith, and I am 33 years old. I have been married to my beautiful wife, Mandy, for 11 years. We have three children, Lizzie, Jake, and Luke. And this is my story. I met Jesus when I was five years old. I grew up as a son of missionary parents in Ecuador, where I lived for 15 years. 
I went to college in Arizona where I met my wife. For the next 10 years, we traveled around while I worked in the information technology field. We served in our local church and I attended seminary. I often thought about working in full-time ministry, but no opportunities seemed right. I was told about a job here at New Spring Church helping with information technology. It was perfect, an IT job at an amazing church. I took the job and started working in October of 2008. For several months, life was very good and we were very happy. In May of 2009, at age 32, I was diagnosed with stage 4 colon cancer. Immediately I had surgery to remove a foot and a half of my large intestine and a lemon-sized tumor. I was told that cancer had spread to my spleen and to my liver. Chemotherapy was on the horizon. This was all a very sudden shock to me. I had always been very healthy. And I found myself very confused. Why did I have cancer? Had I done something wrong to cause it? Was this a result of many years of sinful living in my past? I was working at a church and serving God. Where did I go wrong? But thankfully the confusion quickly turned to hope. I knew that God had a plan for my life. I did not understand why I had cancer, but I knew that God was in charge. For three months I underwent a horrible chemo regimen. Afterwards I had a scan done and the results were great. There was no cancer found in my body. We celebrated God's healing and God's faithfulness. And the next few weeks of my life were some of the best as I celebrated being cancer free. But another scan one month later showed that the cancer had reappeared, this time in my abdominal cavity. I was devastated. Why was it back? Everything was just starting to make sense, but the reoccurrence of cancer caused even greater confusion. I resumed chemotherapy and did more tests. The cancer is now growing and getting worse. Unfortunately, the chemo drugs are no longer effective in my abdomen, and surgery is not an option due to the degraded state of my liver. Medically speaking, there is nothing more for me, and medically speaking, I probably will not live to 2011. The Bible says in Matthew 7:11 that God gives good things to those who ask. God cannot give me a bad gift, and it is through that lens that I can say that cancer is the best thing that has ever happened to me. I am a better husband and a better dad, a better boss and a better employee, a better friend and a better follower of Jesus. And through cancer, God has shown me some amazing things about himself. Those are indeed great gifts. I still have questions about cancer, why it went away and why it came back. I do not understand, but I know that God is in charge. I am praying for God to heal me. That is my desire. I want to walk my daughter Lizzie down the aisle. I want to watch my sons, Jake and Luke, become men. I want to grow old with Mandy. And I want to live my life with my friends here at work. But I may not be able to work for very much longer. And I may have just celebrated my last Christmas with my family. I do know. If God chooses to heal me, then God is God and God is good. 
If God chooses not to heal me and allows me to die, God is still God and God is still good. To God be the glory. How do you do that? That's today. That's our brother in Christ. This is recent times, folks. How, how do you look? This really happened. He's a child of God, just like the rest of us. How do you look cancer and death in the face and say, you know what? God heals me. God doesn't heal me. God is still good. To God be the glory. How do you do that? Can I tell you something? It's exactly everything we just talked about. It's what James is trying to get through our heads. All the seemingly, I'll guarantee you, before he hit this one, You know what he had problems with? Just like the rest of us, problems with life, trials, because heaven comes later. And he had his own turnstile of things that he went through. And over time, as you submit to those, whatever they are, and everybody's got their own package, you think it's monotonous, you think there's no rhyme or reason, you're just going in circles and what? No, they're there to what? To build your spiritual muscles, to make you stronger and stronger so that when, because God sees it all coming, so that when you get placed into a ring of big problems, not cold french fries, but cancer, just like Paul says, oh, you might be knocked down, but you're not knocked out. You can still say, God is still good. To God be the glory. I will take that any day of the week over the lie of this wicked world system and those heretic Hucksters, because that's biblical Christianity. And then one day, we get to be in a place where there is no more cancer or suffering or bad relationships. But God is so powerful, even though he knows we're still here, he still works all together for good. Isn't that fantastic? There should be a verse somewhere that says, consider it pure joy. Oh, there is. James chapter 1. You get it? Lord willing, next time we'll get one more and then we'll move on to Lord willing, verse 5. But one more thing that I've learned. You can go all this way and you can say, yep, there's nothing by chance. Yep, I'm not exempt from suffering. I know there's good in it, but we could still blow it if we think that somehow God is the author of bad things and we don't ask the right questions. But we're out of time. We'll get to that next time. Let's pray. Well, hi, this is Billy Crone of Get Life Ministries, and I hope you were blessed with this study. But in closing, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? Before you answer that, let me share a couple of things that the Bible says. Did you know that the Bible says that God is holy and that we are not? And the wages of our sin or unholiness is death? In other words, we deserve to die and go straight to hell and be separated from God for all eternity. This is the great cosmic dilemma. God who is holy, and we are not, how can we have a relationship with Him? The two will never mix. Now, to make matters worse, we don't even want to admit this, even though God already knows He's God. And so God, out of love, gave us something called the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments were not something to just memorize or stick on your wall or give the appearance of being a religious person. The Ten Commandments were God's divine x-ray, if you will, into our heart and soul to reveal this truth that we need to admit. And that is this, that God is holy and that we are not. We are disqualified for heaven. 
So let's take a look at that divine x-ray that God's trying to get us to realize. Uh, the, the Ten Commandments, the, the ninth one says, you shall not bear false witness. That's lying. Okay? How many guys have ever told a lie? Raise your hand. Okay? Well, if you didn't raise your hand, you just did. You just told a lie because we've all done that. Well, that makes us a liar. The, another Ten Commandments says that you shall not steal. Don't ever take anything without permission. How many of you guys uh, have ever done that? Well, you guys already said you're a bunch of liars. All of our hands should have went up on that one. And for being honest, God already knows. Folks, we've all taken something. We've stolen something, right? That makes us a thief. Another Ten Commandments says that you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. He's not just holy. Even his name is holy. Hey, folks, let's be honest. If you can believe it, even the name of Jesus Christ uh, has been turned into a common cuss word. Well, the Bible says that's a sin of blasphemy. Now we're a, a blasphemer. The Bible says you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus said, here's his standard. Uh, uh, even if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you committed adultery in your heart. Wow, so now we're an adulterer. The Bible says you shall not murder. And you might think, well, hey, at least I haven't done that one. Really? Again, the Bible says that the sin of hatred, wishing somebody was dead, okay, that, that's the same thing. Uh, it's akin to the sin of murder. It's just you pulled the trigger in your heart, but God sees the heart. Hey, folks, that's just five out of ten. How are you doing? You still think you're going to get to heaven on your own? You still think that you're qualified, that you're holy like God, and you could bridge the gap and have a relationship with Him forever? I don't think so. I mean, what did we just see? You're going to stand before God, and so am I. We all are. And we're going to have to give an account for who we are. Hey, hey, God, let me in. Uh, I, I'm, a, I'm a liar. I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer. I'm an adulterer. I'm a murderer. And the scripture is very clear, folks. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of God. We're in trouble. But folks, here's the good news. The Bible says that if we would just admit that, that's the first step, to admit that God is holy, that I'm not, I'm disqualified for heaven. I need a Savior. If we would admit that and then ask for the Savior to save us. That, that's what God was doing with Jesus. God gave us His Son, Jesus Christ. He took the death penalty in our place so that we could be completely forgiven of everything we've ever done and be made holy through Jesus so that we can now have a relationship with God both here and now and forever in heaven. We can become qualified. You, the, the word that the Bible uses is a word called pardon, that God is willing to pardon us of all of our sins and crimes that we've committed against him and disqualified us that disqualified us for heaven, right? And we've actually seen this work in real life. Uh, for instance, uh, there's been people who have committed crimes, gone to court, the gavel's been passed, the judges said, hey, listen, we all know you're guilty, uh, you even admit you're guilty, and uh, for your crimes, you're going to not just jail, you're going to uh, await in jail to go to the death penalty. And did you know that there actually is a way that somebody could get off of death row, it's called a pardon. The one in the authority, the governor, can grant what's called a pardon for that person's crimes, and they literally can go free. Not because of something they did, because the deeds are already done, you can't undo it. Not because of they tried to clean up their act while they were stuck in the jail cell, because that doesn't change anything. But simply out of mercy, the person who has the authority can give them a pardon, and they can go free. And did you know it's actually on historical record that there have been people who have been granted a pardon from the death penalty and they've refused to take it. And so even though the offer was there to be set free, 
they themselves still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, in a nutshell, that's what God's doing every single day with all of us this side of heaven. While you still have breath, you still have an opportunity to receive God's pardon. He's willing to forgive you of all your sins if you would just receive His pardon through Jesus Christ. Again, that's what He was doing on the cross. The cross was the death penalty of the day. But since we weren't there, and since we can't earn it, it's a gift from God, you have to receive that by faith. Reach out even today from your own spiritual jail cell, if you will, and say yes to Jesus and God's pardon so that you can be set free and go to heaven. The Bible says that if you will confess Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the grave, you will be saved. Hey folks, if that's you, don't delay. You may not even have tomorrow. Today could be your last day. Please accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Confess with your mouth He is Lord. Believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the grave and the Bible says you will be saved. Well, this has been Billy Crone of Gill Life Ministries. If there's anything that we could do for you, our information and, and number will come up here shortly. And please don't hesitate to contact us. But remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless.